Hi, welcome to the Mama Advocate Podcast. This is a safe place for adoptive and special needs mamas to feel less alone and find community amidst their unconventional journeys. Here, you're going to find authentic conversations for me and my guests who are parenting fully in the weeds with you. Our goal is to empower and encourage you to be the best mama you can be as you advocate for your people. Crystal, I'm so excited to have you here with me today. Well, thanks. I'm really excited to be here and thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your family? Yes, um, I am. We are live in Nashville and I grew up here in Nashville. And after I met my husband, we got married and we moved to Los Angeles for a couple of years. And when our daughter turned four, my deal was that we had to be back in the South. And so because we had family here and with grandparents and um, just the schools and stuff. So we moved back when she was four. Um, at that time, uh, I took her to a normal, just healthy checkup. And uh, that led to her fi- us finding out that she had to have open heart surgery, which led to the Turner syndrome diagnosis and just kind of a ripple effect. And um, that was kind of, I guess, where um, our journey there began. And um, but anyways, I will get on that in a minute, but, but yeah, but we are just here in Nashville. I have a son who is uh, just turned 11. And then I have Ella who is 13 and my husband and I have been married for almost 16 years now. And um, as Lauren was speaking a moment ago, we have also fostered this past year. So now I say that we even have an extension of our family as well, that um, we had fostered uh, the baby from the time he was newborn until about eight months old. And, but now we still have a very close contact with him and his mom. And so I just look at it as now we just have another extension to our family. This is a beautiful way to look at it. I know that's so heartbreaking and so hard. Yes, it was definitely, it's definitely been a journey. Yeah. So our oldest of our three that we adopted out of foster care, he was with us from day one to eight months and then went back to mom and we don't have him back again. Not that that will be your story, but okay, I, I've just been there where you have that key attachment time of like newborn and then it's like your heart's ripped out. So yes, it's definitely been a test of my faith because you're like, Lord, like, I don't even know what to, you know, it's like whatever your will is, but it's like, I don't even know the right thing um, to pray. Obviously we want the best for him and everything. And I, I, as long as we're still in his life, then I, I'm very, very thankful for that. I love that. Good job. Um, okay. I want to hear all about Turner syndrome and I want to hear about foster care as well. And just kind of your role in that is right now, but would you kind of explain to us what Turner syndrome is and like, how did you know that like going from a doctor's appointment to heart open heart surgery is like huge, right? Um, we had, um, you know, it's funny. I, I say that I grew up boring because I'd never, you know, I lived here in Nashville. I had never stepped foot in Vanderbilt children's hospital as a child or growing up or, you know, anything. And, um, we had pretty much always been healthy and no major issues and stuff. And then you're right. When you walk into a doctor's appointment, thinking that it's just your normal four-year-old checkup and it's like, okay, you know, you think that you're going to be there for, you know, 30 minutes or however long the time slot is and, um, just check everything off the box and like, okay, we're going home. But that day he said, you know what, I hear a murmur and I'm going to have to send you over to cardiology. So within a few days, we had an appointment with a cardiologist and the cardiologist looks her over and they did an echo and some other tests. And he said, she has a coarctation. And so with that means that she had a narrowing in her aorta. And 
immediately said that, you know, she would need to have um, open heart surgery to have it repaired and everything. And of course, all these things go through my mind because most of the time, this is something that's diagnosed and um, before they're born or shortly after they're born, or basically it's caught before most of the time before the age of four, there are obviously other cases and stuff. But, um, but, you know, I was wrestling through all of that in my mind. And what's crazy is, is um, I hope it's okay, but just it was as hard as that time was, it was so neat just to see God in all of the details and everything. Um, at that time, he told us, he said, there's two top surgeons at Vanderbilt. This was the cardiologist speaking. And he said, you need to, you'll get to decide which cardiologist or which surgeon you want to do the surgery. And of course I was like, well, I don't, you know, have, I have a communications degree, nothing on the medical side and everything. And I, while I'm sure that they are, they, you know, are both top surgeons and we could have probably rolled the dice and been fine with either one of them. My mama heart just needed some more peace um, and knowing who to trust the surgery with. And thankfully, one of my very good friends in Los Angeles, who at the time uh, was working for uh, I'm sorry, uh, Cedar sinai she told me, she said, hey, one of my good friends from residency is over the uh, peds cardiology at UCLA. Why don't you come back and get a second opinion? And so, of course, we hop on a plane a few days later, go to LA to meet with um, this doctor out there. And he looks over Ella's MRI and everything. And he said, you know what, for this type of repair, which basically, again, I've learned a, a lot over the past, um, I guess it's, it's we're coming up on, it'll be 10 years this year, but I've learned a lot in the past 10 years that I feel like I've probably spent as much time researching as a lot of people, um, time people spent in med school. Um, but anyways, uh, he looks over and he said, but for this type of repair, because I guess every surgeon has a, you know, their own special way of repairing each diagnosis and everything. And so um, he said, the best doctor in the country is actually at Vanderbilt. Now, how far away are you guys from uh, Vanderbilt? And I was like, that's the hospital that, you know, we're going to. And I think that he had just kind of forgotten that and he knew we were from somewhere in Tennessee and that was about it. And one of the the name that he gave us was one of the options that we were trying to decide between and so it was just that crazy you know god wink where you're like okay i literally had to hop on a plane for four hours away and um come back just to be able to get that okay this is the surgeon you're supposed to use um but thankfully her surgery went well and um to this day like i said it's been almost 10 years she is um into horseback riding dance theater all the things and has not had any complications since. Um, we follow up with, uh, we did follow up every six months and now we just follow up once a year just to make sure that um, that everything's okay. And, you know, uh, one of the most common questions I think people ask with Turner syndrome is, is there a shortened lifespan? And the, the real answer is no. Um, there are issues with the girl's hearts and stuff sometimes. But what I've learned is a lot of times it's in that 20 to 30 age where they don't follow up with the cardiologist and they can sometimes recoart and everything. And so with that, I say, I tell all my girlfriends, I'm like, if something ever happens to me, your job is to make sure that Ella continually follows up with her cardiologist. So, um, but thankfully she is, um, you know, doing, doing well with everything. But, um, but with that though, some of her blood work when she went in for her heart surgery came back abnormal and so after some further testing they said um they came back and they said you know we're completely shocked but she actually has 
Turner syndrome. And of course I had never heard of it. And, um, you know, you start going to Google MD and you research and everything. And, um, basically, you know, everything, even our pediatrician said, you know, her, you know, physical features, just the stuff doesn't add up and everything. And also I'm only five, one, one of the big red flags with uh, Turner's diagnosis is that they are short stature. Well, I never expected Ella to be, you know, a basketball star or anything. So, you know, just her being petite and little was something that, you know, everyone just thought would be how, um, would be, you know, just part of her DNA. So, um, so there was that. So we did, um, from that point on, we did start having to follow up with, um, a numerous, you know, multiple different doctors and stuff just to kind of check everything. Um, we learned that she had a horseshoe shaped kidney and there was also like some hydronephrosis and some other stuff with her kidney. So since then we have followed up yearly with her, um, nephrologist and stuff, another term that I had never even, you know, heard of. So, um, and then we follow up with endocrinology every three months, because as I mentioned with the short stature, she does take uh, growth hormones, which for a mom who tries to buy organic and be as natural as possible, I was like, I have to buy, you know, we're going to be, you know, doing what now? So, uh, so, but she has been a trooper with uh, growth hormones and taking, you know, it's basically a shot every single night and uh, just, but with that though, they told us that she would maybe be four, six or so if she did not have um, the shots. And so I just, I wanted her to be able to, um, you know, they say anywhere around five foot is, you know, just makes life kind of easier. And I think any mom for their, you know, wants their child to have, you know, as less, I won't say stress-free or easy life as possible and stuff. So, um, so that's where we went through that route, but then also with, uh, endocrinology, we also follow up with uh, hormones as well, because um, most girls don't have um, functioning ovaries. And so that's also led, um, as I mentioned, she's 13. So that's also led to a whole new, um, a whole new panel of uh, things that I was, you know, not, I don't say not prepared for as a mother, but um, but yes, because, you know, usually you just think of like those milestones of having a daughter and them growing up and going through puberty, not when do you want her to go through puberty? And that's when we'll start the, um, estrogen and progesterone and stuff. And so, um, just a lot of, um, if I'm honest, just hard decisions that sometimes if I'm like, this isn't fair. Like, why am I having to make, you know, this decision and stuff, um, but we've met a great community that's uh, of other moms who can relate and you know walking through this the same the same journey so um so it's been definitely um a journey uh, a couple of other things that we follow up with is um visions she had some vision uh issues as a child or when she was younger and we've been able to work through those um also some gi stuff a lot of the girls have celiac and um, just other GI issues and stuff. We just try and keep an eye on it. So she usually follows up just once a year with also a liver, uh, liver enzymes can be high and stuff. And um, they watch for pre uh, for diabetes and stuff like that. So I do try and, you know, create as many healthy items as I can that you can get a, you know, a 13 year old girl to eat, I guess you could say. Um, but um but yeah so that's been you know a learning curve and i feel like i'm forgetting we like i said we see 11 different specialists now usually just once a year um besides endocrinology at uh, vanderbilt and so i'm i'm sure i'm forgetting some along the way but how do you keep up with all of that like how do you 
do you have like one doctor a month that you go see or do you try to cram them all in at once? I try and space them out because I've learned the older she gets, the harder it is on her. And also like, she doesn't want to miss school. She doesn't want to be different. She doesn't want to be singled out and stuff. And so, so that's been a challenge. So either I, if there's a way where I can see two doctors in one day, then I will make that happen. Um, but, and then there's been other times too, where, um, you know, even this past December, um, they, there were actually her liver enzymes are high. So her liver doctor wanted to check, do a CT scan to check her liver. I'm sorry, an MRI. So they did the MRI and actually came back and they said, her liver looks great. However, we see a spot on her right hip that we think might be pre uh, cancerous. And so we want you guys to go meet with an oncology um, orthopedic. And so, you know, this was right before Christmas and the soonest opening this doctor had was, you know, January 10th or something like that. So of course that's all I could think about all throughout the holidays. I didn't want to tell her because I didn't want to scare her or give her anything else to think about. And so, um, but thankfully we went to that appointment and she said she's, she went, the doctor went through the whole MRI and explained everything and said that, no, this is not, it doesn't have it's not the right shape. It doesn't have the right, uh, any connector. Like she went through every little detail to give us a peace of mind that it's, um, that it's basically just a cyst and that it, you know, could even go away on its own and they were just going to monitor it and everything. Um, but even with that though, the following week she was supposed to see nephrology and I was like, I have to cancel that appointment because I just cannot handle one more appointment. And again, like if she was having anything that gave me any signs to think that there was something wrong with her kidney going on at the time, then I certainly would have gone. Um, but, you know, at that time I was like, you know what, this, this is one appointment that it's, it's just a checkup and thankfully they, you know, check everything, but it's, it was just, I was like, I, I can't do it this week. So Bob, I'm proud of you for canceling. That's so much. <laughs> it's definitely so much. It's definitely a lot. And I think that um, sometimes I don't even take the time to process it. And one thing that I always tell other moms that whether it's taking your, whether they have a child with Turner syndrome or they have a child with some other medical condition, or even if it is just a regular doctor's appointment, it is so emotionally draining for moms because of the fact that you're having to sit there, put on a smile, do the tap dance, you know, act like everything's fine. And while trying to cheer your child up and make it like they're at Disneyland um, and compress everything that you yourself are feeling in that moment. And so um, I've learned that on her doctor's appointments, we get takeout or I don't cook that night. And, you know, that's usually the night that I just, like I used to come home and try and function like normal and think that I could still do everything. But I finally realized that I was just some, so emotionally ran down from that appointment or wherever we had been that day that, you know, I just have to decompress myself and you have to, as a mom, give yourself permission to say, you know what, it was, it was a hard day for me. And so I might need a glass of wine. So. Amen. I love that. Yes. Are there other ways? Like, I want to make sure that people heard that though, because I think that's brilliant. And I think a lot of us don't think through our day like that. And we try to just cram in a doctor's appointment and then keep going. Um, and I do agree that it's like the most draining thing in the world. So why wouldn't we take care of ourselves in that way? So I love that you do that in order to take out and just kind of keep that evening for you. Um, are there other ways that during the week or the, I mean, all the time that you 
like intentionally schedule time for yourself and um, to take care of yourself? Um, I usually, I try to keep my Mondays without any commitments. And that's usually my day to turn on whatever music I want to listen to or turn on a podcast and audible, whatever it is. And that's where I kind of clean and play catch up and everything. And then usually I do set a timer where it's like, okay, now you can, I don't want to say reward myself to sit down, but, but, you know, you just kind of take those moments and stuff and just say that like, okay, I have to, um, and I have to make time for myself. And I'm very much a social person too. I love, I, I love, um, I guess I'm an extrovert. And so I do, I, anytime a friend says, do you want to meet for coffee? Do you want to grab lunch? I'm usually the one to say, yes, I'm there. But I've also learned in this season though, that like, I have to say no, because when I say yes, obviously to other people, then even though it doesn't look like I'm saying no to my family, even though the kids might be at school or I may not have anything um, on my schedule or anything, you know, going on with them, but it does take out energy that um, sometimes I just have to hold in and just be ready to, for it to, for the kids at three o'clock. I love that. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. That's really hard. Yes, it is. It's, it's hard. It's hard to say no. And it's hard to, it's hard to give yourself permission, I think, to, as a mom, especially to rest or to sit still. Yeah. And to anticipate that you're going to need that as well. I feel like that's just, that's great wisdom. Very wise of you. I love that. Um, okay. Wait, I want to comment on the, the California trip, because I, I realized that was a while ago that you said that, <laughs> but I love, I love with all of my heart that you have a friend who has like that. There are already people over there that God had prepared to, to be there for you. And I'm assuming that you met your friend while you were over in California for a couple of years, right? Uh -huh. you had that move out there like that is just so beautiful. And I love it so much. And he like prepared all of that just for you to show yes. you how he loves you and how much he loves your girl. And I think that's just beautiful. And so I, I appreciate you um, noticing that and just seeing the beauty of that and how he's, how he's taking care of you, even in all the hard, mm -hmm. um, that's really beautiful. Um, I want to, oh, okay. I wanted to ask you about foster care and where did you guys, I know that you fostered a while ago or this past year, what led you to want to do that with all the things you have going on? Well, one thing I think, especially after walking through everything with Ella is, you know, she has honestly pushed our family to live to the fullest and, you know, just kind of max out. But, um, you know, we were, <laughs> I say we were completely crazy. One thing I left out about our story is that in 2018, we actually rented out our house and we went to travel in Europe. So we were planned on doing this for a year. And um, my husband, after trying to work on Zoom or remotely or whatever with the time changes and in small areas or small living quarters and stuff was like after three months he was like we got to go back i can't do this anymore <laughs> so um but during that time we literally um we went to 10 different countries we were in i think we counted 17 different cities and we spent three weeks in italy we spent two weeks in portugal and spain and anyways that's a whole nother um part of our journey and everything but you know even with Ella and all of her appointments and stuff it was kind of a nice just you know what we got all of her appointments done like we crammed them all in and in like a one week period before we left and 
we just said, you know what, we, we want to do this. And one thing too, is because with her, I never want her to use her condition or for it to define her or for her to think that this, this is going to hold me, this is going to hold me back. And so, um, so I wanted, you know, I'm like, well, there's no reason you can't go travel the world or be whoever or do whatever it is you want to do. But to get back to that, we had, we had just returned from that experience. And I think that we've, like I said, we always wanted, felt like we were, I don't say called to do more or to like live to the fullest. And when we came back is when COVID happened. And so everything of course had shut down. And so I think when you're, when you have a feeling like, okay, we're supposed to be doing something, but you know, trying to figure out how that is when you're trapped at home, so to speak. Um, but we had my husband and I, Jason, had always talked about either fostering or adopting um, from the time that we got married and stuff. That was something that was always on our heart. And then walking through Ella and her journey, um, one thing that's also um, common with Turners is that um, they say that it's 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 I'll just say it's it's really hard. Most of them are have uh, infertility issues and stuff. And so I wanted her to. I felt like just know that there's so many other ways um, to have children and stuff. And um, so that was one thing that was like another reason that it was heavy on our hearts and everything. Um, but my cousin coincidentally runs the Palmer home in uh, Mississippi, which is um, a branch of the foster community that, that we ended up being a part of. And in 2020, they said they were short families because there were just not enough people willing to step in and everything to help foster at the time. And they have a Nashville branch called Jonah's Journey that works with women who are incarcerated. And so um, basically the way that it works is that uh, when the woman is in, is in prison or whatnot, then they usually try to find a safe home and it's outside of DCS. And so basically the difference in this program and a lot of other uh, programs is that we also agree to mentor to the mothers as well. And so the moms know that if if their child is part of uh, the Palmer home, then they actually get to have visits, you know, with their with the baby and everything too. So uh, we ended up going through the courses and everything and we started this whole process. Well, at the time, um, we were living in a, a smaller home and everything, but we had been looking for a new house and this was also in the middle of, I don't know how it was there in Texas, but here in Nashville, the housing market was absolutely insane. <laughs> so, um, so we kind of put everything on hold. We had taken all the classes and, but we didn't finish like the last, you know, quarter percent or, you know, the last 10% or whatnot of the application process. So it's kind of been on the back burner. Well, we finally found a home. We got moved in two weeks after being in the new home. Um, and even it's funny because, you know, I look back now talking about like God orchestrating your steps or be careful what you pray for, um, you know, through the whole housing journey, you know, our prayer was, I was like, Lord, help us find a home that's not just our home, but a house that can be used, you know, to host Bible studies. And um, if we are called to fostering, then, you know, we had a bedroom picked out and everything that could be used. Well, so two weeks after we moved in, we were literally still in boxes. My husband was getting ready to, he works in film, was getting ready to go um, shoot a movie and be gone for basically six weeks. They called and they said, hey, we have a mom who's supposed to, to deliver in two weeks. 
are you guys still interested because we don't have another family for this baby to go to? And of course, without even really thinking twice, or I mean, I did talk to Jason, but I just said, <laughs> yes, well, we're in. And um, so we still had to finish our application and everything. Well, this was on a Wednesday. So they came, I think, Thursday to do the home inspection and stuff and go through the rest of the paperwork. We still had to turn in like marriage certificate and just some basic details and stuff and on friday they called and they were like okay the mom went into early labor would you guys be ready to pick him up on sunday <laughs> now keep in mind my youngest was almost 10 and we had not been in the baby phase in almost 10 years so we had zero baby items um you know and our life was in the busy you know we're in the i'm in the taxi season where it's you know running kids here and there and been a while since we'd been, I don't say forced to, you know, sit still once again. So uh, I literally sent out a message on Instagram and to a, a couple of other friends, you know, just saying, hey, we're taking in a baby. And literally by Sunday, we had everything that this baby needed. I mean, we had a crib, car seat, stroller, swing, you know, just clothes, bottles. I mean, everything and it was just that reminder of god being like i will provide every single need and so it was just i just i get emotional thinking back because it was just beautiful just seeing so many people come alongside and just say okay if you say yes we're going to walk alongside you and support you i mean we had meals show up at our door for over a month we had friends who were willing to bring my kids home from school because you know once you get a sleeping baby down in the afternoon, the last thing you want to do is like get up and load them up to go sit in the carpool line. So just little things like that were just such a huge help and a huge blessing to us. Um, and then with that, we were able to, um, you know, it's funny in, in this situation, like I said, we ministered, we got to know the mom and here I had never been to a, you know, a prison before or anything like that. And I remember the first time we went to visit, I was so nervous as if like I had done something wrong. Like I was literally sweating. <laughs> um, and I was like, what if she doesn't like me? You know, is she gonna, you know, just all these things going through my head. And, um, but uh, his mom turned out to, she's the, she's really, really sweet. And so I have, you know, developed a relationship with her and um, just, it's been neat to also to, to pour into her. At least I hope that she thinks that I've, poured into her, tried to and stuff. And um, now I look at it as like I've, I've a, adopted an older daughter or, you know, have a younger sister that, you know, I get to speak to and stuff. So, so yeah, but I mean, I still go with her to most of his doctor's appointments and, you know, just try and um, walk alongside them as much as we can. So. I love that so much. And I love the community around you that saw the need and stepped in and um, I mean, I feel like I could say this a million times over that if, if people would actually do that well, that I don't think we'd have such an orphan crisis that like, if I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would have meals delivered and people helping me take kids everywhere and all of the little things that just make life so hard. Yes. We're going to step in there. Like I, I could take all the babies in the world, you know, like no big deal because we know that it's a community around us and it's not just us bearing the burden ourselves. So I love that you have friends and, and people that were willing to do that. It was, it's been really beautiful just to, just to see that. So 
On this flip side of things, now that you are not actively fostering, I would love for you just to talk a little bit about respite and how others can serve and be a part of the foster care community and really serve the families that um, that need to be served so well. Um, as I mentioned, you know, for us, the the biggest thing was just having the community come alongside and bring meals. I mean, one thing that was amazing was I did not buy a single diaper for the first, I think, six or seven months because we had people literally just every time they'd stop by the house, they would drop off a pack of diapers or a pack of wipes and just little things like that were um, were just truly such a gift that I don't think that people, you know, realize that obviously all of that stuff, you know, adds up. And so, um, so just little things like that. And like I said, helping with my own kids, like someone just saying, hey, can we come get your kids for the afternoon and, you know, take them to the park or, you know, whatever it is and, or take them to dinner. And then that gives you kind of time just with, at least for me, it gave me time with the baby or if the baby was sleeping for me to take a nap and regroup and, um, because like I said, you know, you just forget just like any other new mom that, um, you know, you just, you need those, those moments as well. Um, but definitely respite is a huge way for people to step in. You don't always have to say yes to taking a, a placement, a full-time placement, but there are so many times, at least for us, we still wanted to take vacations with our, with our kids and everything. And, uh, do trips. And so we were able to go on vacation by people who did respite care for us and they were able to step in and, um, you know, keep the baby for a weekend or, you know, for a week during spring break, you know, here, um, it's, you know, February, March is coming up. So spring break, I've, I'm on an a email list where there are tons of people just looking for someone to take, uh, their foster child for the week of spring break and there's not enough volunteers and stuff. So there's obviously a huge need um, just for those short-term situations and stuff. And I'll even take it a step further. One thing I've learned, um, you know, it's funny because you think that God's called you into one role of caring for a baby. And he's really led me to another role where, as I mentioned, his mom, I've been able to build a relationship with her, but she's also introduced me to some of her friends who are also single moms. And a lot of these single moms, the first jobs that they can get are um, fast food or retail with horrible hours. So it's closing shift or working on the weekends. And most of the daycares are closed um, on the weekends and, you know, in, after six o'clock. And so one thing that a lot of these moms struggle with is finding uh, care or someone to keep their children while they're trying to say like for example we help out a mom who just got promoted to be a manager but she has to close and she's like i want to move up with the company but i can't be a manager if i can't i can't move up if i can't close but i don't have child care i was just saying that so many of these moms you know they're trying to they want to change the life they want to have a better life provide a better life for their children and so they're working hard at trying to get jobs and keep jobs. Um, however, if the daycare is closed, then they can't work. Or if they do get a promotion that might be working the weekends or working, uh, closing the store, then and the daycare closes at six, then it's really hard for them to move up in these entry level positions, so to speak, um, without having childcare. So one thing that we have kind of stepped into as well is helping, I say babysit these other little little ones um, to help these moms out and stuff, which is, of course, outside of the foster program, but it's still obviously there's a huge need to help these moms who really are, you know, trying. And of course, every case is different. I'm talking about the ones who really are trying to work, not just, you know, go 
get their hair done or go out for the night kind of thing. But, um, but when they really are trying to work and change the path um, for their kids. I've, I mean, I've just never thought about that being a need or a way that we could serve it all. So I, yeah, yeah I'm going to put that them, in my back pocket. That's really, that's really good. Yeah. Cause most of them are not going to get that nine to five job right yeah. off the bat if you don't have work history. Yeah. And daycares aren't open. Like I've just never, never crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that y'all are doing that together as a family and like what great, what great things you're teaching your kids that they can like come alongside you and serve and love and just see people as valuable no matter where they are in life. So what, that's just beautiful. Um, all right. I hope so. One thing that's funny is Ella likes to, um, you know, I, I speak like the moms are my extra kids as well. And if I ever say anything, not, not negative, but just like, Oh, you know, what made her make that choice or whatnot. And, Ella always defends the moms. Like, it's really funny. She's always like, well, mom, you know, and so she just, it's neat to see her heart um, just for these women. And then of course, for the children as well. That's so beautiful. I love that. Um, Okay. And I love that y'all are still serving and doing respite care for, for other people. I know that that's such a blessing to, to foster families because it is so hard to find somebody who's willing to take on kids and watch them for just even a short time. And it blesses the families so much and is so vital for their their health and their well-being. So thank you for that. Thanks. Um, okay, last question for you. I think I want to know about Disney Wish. <laughs> I went. That sounds like so much fun. It was it was definitely a great trip um, for the kids and everything. And of course, like I said, we, you know, with the whole uh, foster journey, you know, there was obviously things that my, my heart went through when he went back to his mom's, but to his mom, but then also, um, for my kids, you know, they had their own grieving and journey that, that they walked through, even though we had prefaced that at the beginning, that the end goal was, or the, you know, that he would probably go back to his mom. Um, but that doesn't make it any easier or any, um, you know, less, less heartaches, I should say. So, um, so we did try to find ways just to create some fun memories um, afterwards, just uh, to keep, I don't say as a reward for our kids, but also just because they had sacrificed a lot during that journey. But, but yes, we were able to take them on the Disney wish this past year. And it was such a fun uh, time for our family. And I'm not even a huge Disney person, I should say. Um, and even with my kids, you know, like at the time they were 10 and 13 and I was like, are they too old for this? But the thing about the, about Disney, first of all, is that they're going to make everything first class. I mean, it's so great for you to have, my husband and I were able to have a couple of dinners by ourselves because the kids wanted to stay in the kids club rather than come have dinner with us. And, uh, so it was really neat just for them to feel like they had some independence and then yet we were still able to have our own time, but then, um, at the end of the day, we were all together to go watch a show or spend the next day on whatever adventure we were on the next day and everything. So it really was just a special time for us all to be together and then just to um, have some fun. I love that so much. I'm glad that you all got a celebratory time together. That's so beautiful. 
I'm so grateful that you came on and educated us and inspired us and encouraged us. I, we're just doing amazing things and I'm really excited about that. So thank well, you. Thank you for having me and everything. And thanks for connecting so many moms and just being a, a way to um, keep it. I feel like we're all on, I feel like we'll have to like link arms and encourage each other together to, yes, absolutely. to get the raised. So yeah. And I want you to tell everybody where they can find you. And you, I'm sorry, we also need to talk about your recipes. I thought I was, <laughs> but really I'm not. Are all your recipes, are you like a, an actual chef? Or like, did you go to culinary school in your last life? Or what, what tell me well, about. I, I say I went to the culinary of Southern cooking of growing up with a grandma and a mom who cooked <laughs> basically every meal. Uh, my grandmother actually had a meet and three in Birmingham, Alabama and uh, for over 35 years. And so everything was always, um, her main dish was, you know, chicken and dressing. So I'm sorry, can we clarify what a meat and three is? Cause I, I make up, you pick a meat and then you pick three sides. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's what a meat and three is. So in the South that's the term that y'all call it, I've never heard of that. So a lot of your um, like country restaurants and stuff, they'll say, okay, you can pick whatever the, whether it's, you know, meatloaf or, you know, uh, hamburger steak or what chicken fried chicken whatever the meat is and then you can have your choice of three sides to go with it so um so of course in the south that's usually your heavy mac and cheese and green bean you know all the all the stuff that's not good for you which for me has been a challenge to learn to cook on the healthy side as i mentioned and so usually i try and take either those recipes and tweak them um i've also been on my own health journey. So it's been, everything's now been gluten-free. So that's been a whole nother, um, you know, uh, experience. But for me, cooking is honestly my escape. Like I always tell people that, um, you know, don't look at me preparing this like perfect meal thinking that, you know, this is how it's supposed to be every night. But for me, it's honestly, I enjoy it. And so it's my happy place. Whereas I'll tell people, just don't look at my closet, don't look at my bedroom and that type of thing, because other people's gifting might be cleaning and, you know, organization, and that's not really mine, so. Well, I, you look extremely gifted, all the pictures, I clearly have never eaten your food, but you look extremely gifted, and I'm, it's fun following along with you. So all that to say, where can people find you? Oh, yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Southern Snippets. I also have a blog, southernsnippets.com basically southern snippets for all the handles tiktok pinterest and there you go so perfect 